Oh, God. Hello, and welcome back to Schizotopia. As always, I'm your host, Maxwell Cody, and joining me once again, the door lore from Mordor, uh, Dank Deleuze, a.k.a. Mr. Dorian Z. Bell. Danko, how are you? I've been doxxed. I've been doxxed. Wait, I'm no. I'm doing all right, I've, man. I've used your real name on here before. You told you me to. You doxed me every time. <laughs> I think I think I did. I think <laughs> You were like, don't call me Dank Deleuze. Oh, here's the funny. You, you know, you before dare. I forget, I want to tell you this yeah. funny story because I don't think I oh, ever please. did. The first time you're ever on this podcast, I looked it up exactly how to pronounce Deleuze because we say it in the English tongue, but it's more mm. like Deleuze if you say it in right. French. And so I was trying to say it the French way, but then you weren't. So I, I still looked like a rube after all that effort. And 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 what's really funny about that is that I have since being harassed by so many fucking people online converted over to saying it closer to the right way no we're only saying Deleuze like Deleuze Canyon where I grew up <laughs> I mean so that's that's the thing though is that I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pronounce Andre Breton yeah Andre Breton yeah right? I refuse I refuse exactly I, I will not pronounce French names the right way because even if I do and especially if I do I look like an asshole and if you do it halfway, you just seem like a suit. So you got to pronounce it yeah, wrong. Exactly. Exactly. I'm not. I'm not reading French. I'm just gonna say reason for being. I'm not gonna say it in French. I mean, that's that's a good move. <laughs> a real power. You could say some 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 Latin words. Uh, I think that's all anyone's really allowed. Uh, I used to have a. I used to have an a, Italian girlfriend, like actually from Italy, not from like the Jersey Shore. Oh my god. And she was always talking about how she hated Spanish. And I was like, because mm, we were in California. I was like, mm, it's not really, this isn't really the place we talk about how much you hate Spanish. But, and also I was like, how different are Italian and Spanish anyway? They're both basically Latin, right? And she was like, no, that's ridiculous. I was like, whatever. I'm going to go to Italy and I'm going to start speaking in Spanish to people, but with an obnoxious fake Italian accent. <laughs> like, ha, ah, amigo. Yeah, I, actually, that's that's part of my plan. Is I'm going to uh, I'm going to learn Portuguese and uh, go to Spain and just bug the fuck out of them, or yeah. France. I mean, either one. Like it's 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 close. I think if you and do that, they just think you're they 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 just think you're Basque or something, right? Yeah, probably, probably. Yeah, like this guy talks funny. He must be Basque. I I started a uh, a weirdly intense uh, argument between a, uh, a a Spaniard and a Catalonian Spaniard. Uh, not too long ago, because I I mentioned romesco sauce, <laughs> and and one of them was just like, oh yeah, we put that on everything, mostly starches, and the other one was going off about how he he doesn't even know what this evil garbage is, and he refuses mm -hmm. to touch it, uh, and uh, and it was it was actually kind of nice, like it sounds like a, a a tense and unpleasant conversation, but ultimately it was good because it was one of the very very few instances where I got to as an American bring up food to two Europeans and they yell at one another instead of me. Right. I was going to say, I feel like you're one of the only, you're in a very small demographic of Americans who, who is cultured enough that you can get into these kind of uh, transatlantic fiascos with people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is that. Cause most um, Americans would be like Spain, what kind of tacos you got over there, man? <laughs> I should, man, that's the, that's the real struggle. And, and maybe that's the key to, to memeing in the end, uh, at least in the corner that we, uh, we exist in is having just enough knowledge of the world that you can start <laughs> to make a joke and then 
you can really fuck it up by getting uh, confused on purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, you know. All right. Um, can we I are... take a take a schizophrenic walk through uh, through Europe? You know? oh, 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 bringing it back to Deleuze. I see. Mm. Perfect. Um, speaking of schizophrenia, <laughs> uh, I instead of instead of what we would normally do, which is have some very like well-researched topic uh, that we were prepared to talk about. Uh, I only have one question for us tonight. One question I'm posing directly to you, um, Dorian, which is, is schizo, quote unquote, the new incel? This is the, this is the question that's been vexing me heavily lately. And it's, it's such a challenging question because i immediately want to 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 claim one thing and it's opposite really uh really I, i've intensely. never seen you do otherwise so you know, <laughs> we're right on track okay that's that a good point <laughs> but it's it's called enlightened centrism uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's called dialectics but... okay you gotta be pretty high iq <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, on on one end, I would say no, uh, simply because of the fact that, you know, the way that I look at inceldom is that it is this kind of over-determination of symbolic meaning into a partner that doesn't exist, right, mm-hmm. uh, based on the thing that they themselves lack. Uh, and and that's what ends up determining this kind of imaginary person, which which seems initially very schizophrenic. But the the real difference that I end up seeing in it is that the schizophrenic, rather than producing arbitrary overdeterminations, ends up taking all of the little hints and fabrics of the world around them rather than things that they themselves lack and ends up kind of piecing things together. And so they seem on kind of a metaphysical level very, very different. Um, but but in in a really standard kind of pop culture way, uh, I, you can't even call it pop culture in an internet culture kind of sense. Um, maybe maybe it's actually that overdetermination is really schizophrenic, just in the sense that it's it's like building a, a a kitsch object out of a person, right? Where you're 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 taking a trad wife, you're taking something out of the past, and you're uh, superimposing it into the present. Uh, kind of devoid of the things that ended up making it work the way it theoretically worked or didn't work in the past uh, and and kind of infusing it with all of these different signifiers that no longer attach to it or allow it to be. So that that's pretty schizophrenic there. Um, mm-hmm. So is well, not showering. Not showering <laughs> is pretty schizophrenic. Well, I, okay. When I say is, is schizo the new, is schizo the new incel? It's just that I've I've noticed in the time that I've been doing this, which is I guess just over two years now, um, schizo went from something that was a little bit vague, where it could be a reference to schizoanalysis or Deleuze or whatever, uh, but it could also just refer to like schizophrenic crazy people or conspiracy theorists and that sort of thing. So it sort of had a left wing and right wing connotation, and it was kind of vague, and that's kind of why I liked it. Um, but now I, I'm seeing it more and more and more, and it's like starting to enter. I think it's starting to enter into the mainstream the way that like incel was something that you would only find in very specific message boards um, and various you know niche online communities. Uh, but now incel is like you will hear that in TV shows. It's it's become common parlance. Mm. 
and that's how the internet works now it's like it's the big uh, cuckoo crazy unconscious <laughs> engine collective unconscious engine that like produces all of these nightmares right it's the it's the center of cultural production or okay maybe i can't take it that far yet but it's it's getting there right um it's the hidden abode of cultural production or something like that and we, we built our own id yes and uh you know sometimes people would, i've talked about this a million times now but people will will ask me like are you actually schizophrenic or they'll say that it's a slur i can't believe how many people tell me that it's a slur <laughs> Um, and that this might as well be called N-Wordtopia. That's how like offensive it is. And I'm just Jesus like, Christ. dude, I'm just like, come on. Um, but what never really occurred to me is that it never occurred to me that like schizo could actually just become in and of itself something that's just incredibly cringe and meaningless because it be it's actually a term that could become so popular, right? Um, that never actually occurred to me. And it's it's weird to see it happening now. Yeah, yeah. And and it's it's happening now in a way that is extremely different from the way that it existed in popular culture when you and I were growing up, I think, uh, in, in the sense that if someone was going to refer to themselves uh, as non-literally schizo, it was its own kind of edgy statement, uh, just trying to kind of uh, point out how uh, how how dark they were, right? It was the goth kid thing to do right. um and and now i mean though that's not entirely missing there's more of an interest in the uh not not that you're detached from the world but that you seem detached from the world uh because of something more gnostic right you you see something that is in fact there um which which uh, is really part of the world, and that's what ends up kind of alienating you uh, as a schizo. Uh, it's these these angels are real. Uh, these these Epstein did fuck kids, uh, and all this stuff. Uh, whereas you know before it was just a, a way of uh, confusing mm -hmm. DID. You know, right? Well, that's the other thing. You used to have when when we were growing up. You had like Dale Gribble. Mm -hmm. um or you had what else you had uh whatever joe rogan's character was on what was that show called D daily radio, radio oh news radio news radio that's what it was called um where he was like the conspiracy but my point is all these shows always mm -hmm. had like the conspiracy theory guy um and he's kind of a, a a cute but ultimately or maybe like a disturbing but ultimately harmless character that was mm -hmm. in all of these shows and then you had things like the X-Files that was really popular. And it was sort of like conspiracy theories were fun. Conspiracy theories were part of pop culture. Um, there's something that you you digested um, and, and didn't think too much about, right? But then in the last, well, I guess since 9-11, they've become mainstream. And so it's like Alex Jones isn't just some weirdo anymore. He's like public enemy number one. Um, and I guess to be fair, for a while he had a line to the presidency, which was pretty right. crazy. Um, you know, that was definitely that was a change of pace from you know the people who would be uh listening to him before, right? Um, it's you know, I, I kind of feel like a lot of the backlash against people like Joe Rogan and Alex Jones before, whereas whereas formerly they were seen as um entertainers primarily, I think. Uh, is that precisely because they got too big for their britches? So for someone like Joe Rogan, he's actually like getting bigger numbers than some of the, a lot of the legacy media people, right? Right, right. 
and and you know when when it comes to Alex Jones in this, he's he's had such a weird trajectory because he, you know, back when I was first like listening to him, um, in the you know like the early two thousands, uh, he had he he had a really dedicated following and seemed to have a, a certain type of genuine cultural clout uh, that kind of made him available to to everyone regardless of of whether or not they kind of agreed right. with him, right? Um, right? Like he appeared in that Scanner Darkly movie, right? So, yes. it, him him kind of being plastered into this as as a way to not not only make a joke of him, but but to make a joke. But the the wink is that he's right, um, and and so him, you know, having this really dedicated group around him, and then eventually becoming someone who, yeah, like you said, getting too big for his britches, or actually having an opportunity to have some kind of something that at least symbolically. Uh, looks like it could be real power uh, leads leads it to kind of falling apart, um, and and I, yeah, I actually I think that's <clears throat> that's kind of integral in the question of you know are uh, are schizos the new incels uh, in the sense that the only way that either one of them can be identified as such uh, and the thing that makes them both uh, kind of valid uh, for for, for to themselves and to others in very different ways in either case, I think is the fact that neither one of them has power. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and when you bring up these, uh, these pieces of media, you know, you know, Dale Gribble and X-Files and everything, the, the thing that makes these or made these characters possible was that there was this, uh, kind of accepted, uh, criticality, not even criticality, but, but, uh, uh, suspicion around power but it was never one that was really all that deep and if you did end up thinking too hard about it that's when you became one of these people right uh but it was kind of part of the cultural consciousness that of course the government is corrupt and they're probably doing weird shit and we know that they've done some weird shit but ultimately it doesn't really matter all that much because we have other ways of of you know making sense of the world or, or dealing with it we can all vote or, or whatever and after 9-11, like you said, that's when that kind of starts to unravel because we start to realize that not only is the government and all, all these different structures of power, not only are they um, able and willing to evade any one of our kind of traditional modes uh, for, for handling them, for, for, for kind of putting reins on them, um, but that they're ultimately also... Uh, kind of incompetent and incapable in a way. And that's something that, that, you know, has become more and more true over time uh, where, you know, the, the reality of political power and, and, and voting and all of this is, is that it, it diminishes constantly as capital simply grows power or grows more powerful. Uh, politics becomes more and more an arena for people to talk about what they can't and won't fix and who they're going to try to hurt in order to make up for that. Right. Uh, and so everyone becomes a schizophrenic. Do, do you remember the movie Enemy, Enemy of the State? Pretty yeah. sure Will, Will Smith, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh my God, dude. That movie, okay, that movie came out, I'm looking up right now. The movie came out in 98, so I've been 10 years old. Um, okay, if you, I, I watched that movie like a year ago or something. Uh, I don't remember all the details, but one, the thing that's eerie about it is that it's already talking about, because 98... We there was already this um, Al Qaeda and Bin Laden were on the radar, so there's already 
all this stuff about um uh paranoia and you know uh, being too paranoid about muslims um in the movie there's there's already that aspect of it uh so it's already anticipating all the post 9-11 war on terror stuff but what's funny to me is like the machine that the government is hiding is basically just like a shitty google earth <laughs> yeah yeah and like that you know and it's like everyone basically carries that thing around in their pocket now and this movie is acting like it's the greatest violation of uh civil rights possible it's like the ultimate doomsday weapon that uh, we can't let people get their hands on <laughs> It's it's funny to see how DSF is now. And I guess the way I'd put it is like in the 90s, you know, the the secret thing that the government was hiding, you know, the, the whatever black box that they were trying to hide from you, the feeling was that if you opened it, it would either be some futuristic piece of technology um, like a shitty Google Earth or Uber or something like that, or it would be like an alien or a UFO, right? Mm-hmm. You know, or something like that. And, you know, after 9-11, after the war on terror, it's like, most people would be like, I don't even want to open the black box because I know it's just going to be some Abu Ghraib, uh, right. Guantanamo Bay torture shit that I don't want to see, right? You know, and I, I'd prefer you just close the box. Um, but then at the same time, you get this kind of a, what I call mesmerizing disgust where people are like, no, I want to see the horrible thing. I want to see the horrible live leak videos. Um, and if you think of like the incel, if you try to take like a material analysis of the incel, on one hand, I would say, the incel is a product of just this weird post-industrial post-economy that we're living in where it's like Mm. young men uh, can't get the things that traditionally went with masculinity. um, And so they just sort of sink into themselves, right? They retreat into themselves um, and they don't, they don't know what to do. Right. And that's part of it. And the other part of it is that then it becomes like this weird self-induced masochism. Um, If you ever look at like, I, I remember going through a bunch of incel reddits, and it was fucking crazy because it was dudes who looked completely normal. Right. Um, guys who, I mean, they weren't they weren't Tommy Hilfiger models or anything fine, but they were like totally normal looking dudes. And they're like measuring their noses and taking little micro measurements and posting pictures of their noses and stuff like that. And their brow ridges and all this shit. They, they, in other words, they, they basically think that women look at men the way that men look at women. Which is right. not true, right? Which is obviously not true, right? Um, look at Dennis Kucinich, right? Um, <laughs> if you got if if you kids out there don't know, look up Dennis Kucinich and his wife, and you'll see what I mean. Okay, you will see what I mean. Um, he's a tiny, tiny little man. Everyone used to call him a Keebler elf, uh, and he just had an incredibly smoking hot wife. Um, but anyway, uh, so half of it is like there's a there is a material aspect to it, and then the other half of it is like it is self-induced and the internet just becomes the echo chamber cesspool intellectual ghetto that you, you become completely saturated in. And the thing is for like the whole, the emerging archetypal schizo, uh, whatever that is, it's kind of the same thing. Part of it is socioeconomic. We're living in this weird, rapidly declining empire. Um, And now you have these machines where everyone can kind of just create their own X-Files on the internet um and you can become saturated in whatever little corner you want and that's the point where it becomes self-induced you know when someone tells me that they took an h-strip of acid and watched bit shoot conspiracy videos for 12 hours i'm like that you mk homebrewed yourself <laughs> you mk ultra homebrewed yourself you know what i mean the government didn't do that to Absolutely. you you can't even blame the media or anything like that man like you did that to yourself like <laughs> nobody you gotta just you gotta take some responsibility at some point man um, and that's an extreme example, but everyone does it to themselves to a certain extent. And I don't know, when I started this podcast, I was trying to 
be as objective on one hand, but also as how to put it gonzo in the shit. I didn't right. want to like, I don't, I don't want to come at it from some condescending, um, like I say his name, but I don't want to do the thing where I'm like, I'm trying to in- investigate <laughs> internet radicalization type of shit. Um, either. Right. I was trying to Jane good, all the schizos. Okay. I was trying to do it right. And then you became one. <laughs> and I became one. Well, I guess uh, I was always a little bit of one. Of course. Um, of because course. I, I agree. This is the stuff that I grew up on. I grew up on this kind of universal paranoia, especially the town I grew up in where it's like, um, you know, a lot of people with very strong libertarian survivalist uh, leanings and sympathies. Right. Um, I remember one of my best friends growing up, his <laughs> his parents were very sympathetic uh, to to the people at waco and ruby ridge right they they thought that um they didn't agree with everything they said obviously not the weird stuff but the whole we have a right to secede from society at any point they're they they they're very sympathetic to that so i grew up around a lot of that kind of mentality but i also you know was someone who was very in the left and also is exposed to all the crazy leftist paranoia as well um and that's the thing is that i think a lot of liberals and leftists most liberals and leftists they're just as conspiratorial in their thinking they just don't like to think of it that way Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's in in terms of I, I mean, this this one is kind of apolitical. Uh, well, not apolitical, but it, it can't be as cleanly cut down the middle. But uh, something that uh, the UN was saying put it in my head where the. The urge to, you know, watch the collateral murder video over and over again, uh, versus the type of uh, you know schizo paranoia that uh, we w- were blessed with in the 90s where you know everything was ultimately a, an alien hidden somewhere in the desert um I, I i have to think that a big part of this has to do with just trying to uh, not not escape from the world which is what i think a lot of people uh believe it to be but a, a way of establishing uh something that that can feel real right uh and 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 what i mean by that in the alien context uh because it's the less obvious one is that because everything is so kind of numbed out uh and easy and depressed even even the the hard things are 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 ultimately made relatively easy uh you know you're 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 provided with this cruel optimism that you can find your way out of your hole uh, and and so you kind of numb out to the world, no matter how agonized you are, uh, for the most part, that uh, experiencing something as transcendent as, uh, you know, there being aliens in Area 51 that changes your worldview allows you to feel as if the world itself even exists uh, in, in, in my mind. And, and the same thing kind of applies to the trying to you know watch this these abu Ghraib video or look at the abu Ghraib pictures or this or that in the sense that you're it's an it's almost more it's an imminent approach right where you are looking at all the grime of the world and trying to see it for its full intensity so that you can again feel as if the world itself exists uh because we're certainly placed inside of a situation where it's not it's not real so are you saying it's sort of it's basically like the psychological equivalent to like uh cutters or people who do self-harm where they they feel so numb through their depression that like that actually like physically hurting themselves is a way to reaffirm that they're actually alive 
Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Um, for yeah, no, I, I I do I do think that's a big part of it. Um, it's yeah, just the I don't know. My 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 brain's stuck in a schizophrenic loop now. So <laughs> <laughs> be, be, between trying to trying to uh, what what kind of mind would look for uh, for aliens in Guantanamo Bay? Uh, well, actually, I figure there's a lot of those, but. But I think in a well, yeah, sense, that, makes that's sense. when, well, I would, I would say that, you know, I watched the death of the classic, like new age bookstore. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's still new age bookstores out there, but not like there used to be, yeah. um, not even close. And it used to be to get the really weird stuff. Um, that's where you would have to go. Uh, you know, this is even when this kind of, some of this stuff was like hard to find on the internet. I spent a lot of time hanging out in new age bookstores when I was a teenager. Same. Yeah. And what's, what's cool to me Actually, I shouldn't say it's cool. <laughs> What's interesting <laughs> to me. What's interesting to me is that when that model was dying and when Amazon was sort of taking over and, you know, the, the these New Age bookstores started to get smaller and smaller and smaller until now, the, the, the New Age bookstore used to hang out all the time in high school. Now they like only sell like, you know, crystals and incense and stuff. They don't even sell books anymore. Um, that there's no there's like no money in informant left anymore but what's interesting is that now they've all combined into one basically extended marvel universe <laughs> um and that's what QAnon is QAnon is the marvel yeah. universe of new age bookstores um and of and of conspiracy theories it that you just combine them all into one super conspiracy theory um and don't worry in the end the good guys win absolutely um, yeah and, and in fact that's that's something that's been so surprising to me as i speak to otherwise like politically or philosophically informed people over the last few years which is every time and you know thankfully people have have sorted it out for the most part but uh every time that people would bring up that uh so many new age people end up becoming you know maga folks uh and that is the least surprising thing to me about contemporary politics that was that's always been there (laughs) that's you that's, that's kind of the the, yeah. the water that I grew up in for the most part. The, uh, the hippie people and the gun people that like the main thing, like the, or like the libertarian gun people, the main thing they disagreed on is, was weed. And even that, like that has now, there's no difference anymore. They're, they're, they're both fine with weed, right? The, the, the crazy gun people, they, they no longer care about weed anymore. In fact, a lot of them are very pro weed. Yeah. When, when, you, when you said that, that was uh, difficult for me to, to parse because <laughs> I was, I was thinking like they both love weed. <laughs> It wasn't always. It wasn't always right, that way. Right. I remember when the libertarian people were still very afraid of weed. In um, in fact, I I remember actually growing up with a lot of uh, these weird new age people that were extremely anti. Uh, I mean, drugs in general, but yeah. but but weed was certainly something that they harped against. So it's it's interesting how there are like that's probably where they leaked towards one another, right? That's that's where they found their their embassies in one another's groups. <laughs> the, the the Dale Gribble who smokes pot all day and the uh, the the hippie mom who thinks weed is evil and they uh, they, they found, <laughs> found their way into one another's homes. Well, so then I guess what's been also vexing me a lot is that I've whatever I've been swimming in these waters for such a long time. I've read so much of this shit. I've talked to so many of these people. It was like obviously a big part of you know how I grew up, where I grew up, the people I grew up with. Um, and now the more uh, it's just getting more and more obvious to me that most of that culture is just motivated entirely by resentment um resentment and then also weird sadomasochism um and but instead of that being sort of like simmering 
down deep down in the, in the uh periphery of society or the the uh subterranean of society and it's just something that you know you huff a little bit um now it's just becoming the atmosphere that everyone lives and breathes in yeah yeah and and it's again you know kind of going back to that that idea that i brought in that uh everything has become so uh, it's so easy to be agonized and then and then still kind of manage just fine uh like you end up having with with uh with incels where you know the there's no there's no potential future that they can see working for them because they've already determined what that future is because they've already kind of overdetermined what they're lacking uh kind of spiraling out um but it's the yeah it's 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 like what lacan talks about with the the fact that there is no there is no sexual relation right the there's no this the sexual relation ultimately in so many ways uh, or the lack thereof the incel sexual relation is 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 the same in in that the sexual relation that they would want anyway is them projecting that thing that they themselves don't have right and so they're always seeking something that uh, even if it was present would be so representative of the thing that they don't have that they wouldn't be able to recognize it as being there uh, which is why if you end up telling an incel actually your brow line looks fine and your chin is is you know beautiful <laughs> you know they'll they will never fucking believe you you actually uh, look completely normal yeah right exactly they they look totally fine um and and they they're so full of resentment and this predetermined uh solution or non-solution uh, based on their kind of accumulated resentment over this this uh, kind of figure of lack that they've they've built that there's no way that they'll ever get what they want especially if they end up getting what they want um and i think that's also i mean i think that's especially true in a weird way for these um uh like the the, the stereotypical uh ski do mega guy right a skidoo dealer uh, who is way into queue and, and all this stuff. It's because of the fact that they have all this deep resentment that they're doing fine, but they should be doing better. Uh, and that they have, for the most part, everything that they want, uh, but they in, inevitably want more, uh, that they are always building up th this resentment over something that can never be solved. Uh, because there isn't actually a problem um, a lot of the time, of course, there's also a lot of genuine uh, resentment that ends up kind of coming through that ends up producing things like like Q. Um, but uh, but these these inventions of problems are especially interesting to me, especially when we're talking about the the, the similarity between schizos and uh, incels. The, the, the craziest thing to me, and I mean, Q is the easy example here. Maybe mm. you can help me think of some others. But the craziest thing to me is how I've watched, because I am part of a QAnon uh, Telegram group, and I, I look at the things they post all the time. And obviously, we all know my old friend Float, who uh, I've had on here many times and, and talked to him about things. But what's what's wild to me is that there's this super patriotic part of Q that's like, the real America was awesome. Um, Trump was trying to make America great again. We were trying to restore this great, um, this great lost America. Uh, and you know, once we do, everything's going to be great again, right? As it were. Um, and what's weird is that now they're like starting to turn on America. 
because they have nowhere else to go. They they can't uh, they can't explain why the why the original good America isn't coming back. So now they're starting to denigrate the original America, or, or or this mythic lost America. They're starting to say, oh, you know what? Maybe America wasn't the good guy in World War Two. Oh, you know what? The moon landing <laughs> that was fucking fake. Uh, or, or maybe you know, and actually, Russia and China they're they're trying to take out the uh, the, the the evil bio labs that uh, Biden made COVID with. You know, and this type of shit where it starts to be yep. like you've gotten so patriotic that you now hate America. Um, which then is it is it gonna horseshoe again where the the crazy New Age people start to become like tankies and and leftists? Oh God. Um... <laughs> some of what they're saying is almost there where they're like actually z you know or actually putin he's like he's trying to fix the world he's trying to save us from the from the deep state or something like that he's plan b now that trump has uh been knocked off or something right right i i'm curious about that because so i've i've seen the the seeds uh for where the uh uh, the the right has gone, and I've seen the seeds for the uh, these these hippies moving uh, rightward uh, or wherever they're moving uh, upward, probably. Uh, but uh, but I I have very rarely seen much apart from vague kind of liberal gesturing that has ever made me feel like uh, like a lot of those people could ever even be uh, nominally left. Right. E even if that's kind of how we've always perceived uh, hippies in a certain way, because we have such a horrible perception of of what happened in the hippie movement uh, and and where those hippies ended up going. Right. Um, surprise. They're all middle managers now. Uh, <laughs> surprise. Dead, Amazon. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> and, and, and that they're actually the, the, the large, uh, largest, larger. They're a large. They're a large uh, part of why we're currently in the like deregulated Nietzschean hellscape that we're in uh, is is because of the fact that they themselves decided that they were the uh, owners of their own destiny and hid inside of a vaguely left politic that ultimately was a way to become, uh, you know, leaders of bullshit industry. <laughs> um, oh, dude, no, it's, I don't it's, know. It's wild for me as somebody who's like in Occupy and, you know, that's when all the like Anarcho intersectionalist 99% rhetoric was very heavy mm -hmm. um, and, you know, very like, however you want to put it, very much our thing and very much the cool thing and very much what like, you know, the, the radical young leftist should believe in. It is fucking crazy to talk to my now like middle management friends who <laughs> were never involved in that kind of stuff. And they're quoting like the weird Hillary Clinton version of these types of theories, you know, <laughs> where it's like <laughs> it's something that like their corporate HR is teaching them uh, this new uh, middle class techie friendly version of the uh, whatever you want to call it, the, the anarcho Obamaism that was going on during, during the Occupy era it, like that. That's really fucking weird. And I, I don't know. It just goes to show you how easily resentment can be repackaged and, and turned into anything. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it makes me think about the um, what's happening with and and what will happen with, you know, like Mark Fisher's work uh, in, in the sense that it's already obvious that it's become um, something approximating normie uh, literature at this point or it's getting closer to it. 
Uh, and it's, I, oh, it's, it's something sapiosexuals are going to be quoting to you very soon. I think, oh, yeah. I think you know exactly what I mean by that. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 I'm I'm, I'm curious. Um, maybe curious is the wrong word because I'm pretty sure I know where this is going to go. But <laughs> uh, but what what's going to happen when that really becomes part of the uh, the zeitgeist? I I guess I could maybe end up saying uh, where. You know, everyone is is at least vaguely aware of capitalist realism as a concept uh, and uh, how it becomes part of corporate HR's considerations and uh, the way that they end up uh, responding to diversity in their benefits package. Right. Uh, is, is how, how can we avoid the negative aspects of capitalist realism uh, in order to make it just worse? <laughs> Yeah, there's gonna. What about capitalist surrealism, guys? We can make <laughs> office fun. Uh, I'm so glad, uh, in the end that uh, Fisher didn't finish acid communism or whatever the fuck. Um, because if it might be better if someone else does that for him, I know that there is, I'm sure there's thousands of people working on their own bullshit versions of, of some monograph for that. Um, mm -hmm. but, um, uh, but. If if he had come up with some kind of theoretical uh, uh, solution for capitalist realism, it would end up immediately being used uh, to uh, to make everything so much worse. Uh <laughs> I just okay, but my th okay. Well, two things I want to get into here. One is that okay, isn't the obvious solution to capitalist realism just going to be Nosball realism? And I'm not saying that's good, but I'm just saying that I feel like that's very much the way the world is obviously tilting. Uh, where it's like uh, you're gonna have you know Modi, you're gonna have Shinzo Abe. Well, I guess <laughs> he, he he was martyred for the cause, right? They're gonna um, bring him back. He was uh he was a uh, non-consensually seppukud, uh, as we'll say. But my but the point is that you know you you do see this tilt of like, well, we're going back to the past, um, and we're 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 drawing the borders as hard as ever. We'll have to consider some alternatives to um, or some whatever safety valves to um, unmitigated capitalism. But what's funny to me is that the guy who understood the everything that Fisher was talking about, I think a lot better. And I know I'm going to get shit for this, but it was Nick Land. <laughs> It's Fukuyama, dude. It's Fukuyama who's saying okay. the end of history is going to be a boring time. Everybody shits on this man, but he was right. It's going to because be because they've, boring... they've only read the uh, the the title and then they kind of move on. Yeah, but he says it's going to be a boring time. You're going to have the financialization of international relations and the boredom that's going to be caused by this. The malaise of this might kick off history again, and I think that that's what you're seeing. You're seeing all these people they're digging into the past, and that's why you have all these people who are like you know trying to LARP as Bolsheviks and neo Nazis and like even like Nazball, where it's like, well, I'm actually going to be a Strasserite uh, space communist, and like it's all fucking insane LARPing, you know, <laughs> all of this LARPing, right? That that too is the end of history. Though those are the ghosts, right, right. Uh, of of history coming back to haunt us. And you know, the internet is the medium for this to happen, but it it would have happened even if we weren't really using the internet as much, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the internet's just a, a catalyst for communication. It's not communication itself, right? Um. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I think that's more or less true. Um, so in in capitalist realism, I can't believe we're, we're fucking talking about this book. <laughs> it's such a fucking boring book. Uh, 
it's it's great if you if you've never read any theory please read that book it'll get you started just fine but please very quickly move on from it the one Um, thing i'll say about that book is at least he appreciates um oh fuck it's the mercury and gatorade dude i can't believe um office space Right, right. He, at yeah, least yeah. he appreciates Office Space. Is, Decent taste in music likes as, Office Space. As much as I do, because Office Space, I think, is one of the greatest leftist films of modern times, like in terms of like a critique of, of capitalism. Yeah. And um but what I like about it is that it's also it anticipates the incel shit very well too. Absolutely. Where Absolutely. Men, it, it's men, it's about men who feel completely uh, emasculated by modern capitalism by sitting in cubicles all day and the resolution to this at the end of the movie is that he's just going to go out and work with his hands again and from a Marcus, yeah. Mar- Marxist perspective you could still say he's alienated from his labor but the fact that he's slightly less alienated from his labor is good enough he's accepted exactly. the best as good as it will ever get um, and that's that's insult realism okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean where when you're when you're in a world where the uh, uh the real alienation is counting how many pieces of flair you have on your uniform. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I, yeah, I'm very, very into that. Um, but, um, the, the solution that Fisher at least gestures to in the book isn't really a solution either, but it's kind of like the, the, the doom and gloom result that's going to have to be the thing that fixes it is that uh, capital will have to face against uh, its real, right? Where things like climate end up uh, kind of appearing and, and, and crushing it, which I'm not totally optimistic that that's going to be the case. But in in connecting it to this Nazbol realism uh, idea, I think there's, there's certainly something there, not just because of the fact that we were kind of seeing that in the climate, but because of the fact that, um, you know, what one of the most... Uh, reliable definitions of fascism i think uh is you know it's a it's palingenetic it's nationalistic yada 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 all of this stuff but one of the real key components uh, of it is that it's always a violent response to a crisis of capital which ends up leading to some kind of uh, uh push against generally the left but some kind of marginalized uh, uh political party um and far be it for me to ever claim that neoliberalism is in any way marginalized but you can psychically kind of marginalize it right yes. you you can end up saying that you know uh uh ne- neoliberals are the bad guys and pretty much everyone in the fucking world will agree with you including neoliberals without realizing it um <laughs> and <laughs> and and so the kind of eruption of uh of this kind of nasbol movement i think is a big part of of um, of the formula here, right? Where you, of course, you're going to have fascist movements, uh, and of course, you're going to have uh, some kind of leftist movements, and of course, you're going to have the secret third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth thing uh, that are going to to appear um, because of the fact that we do inherently need to face off against the the reality of this uh system that we we can't upkeep mm-hmm. right um and so some other politics will step in the way whether or not it's more or less damaging simply because it is in fact new like you were saying you know it's new it's interesting i'm not as bored because i get to 
going to wear my black and red uniform and swing around a, a communist flag. Yeah. So the one big difference, the one big difference is it's like the stormtroopers and the, you know, death squads of mm-hmm. fascist Italy and Germany, those guys were hardened and trained and organized by World War One. Um, And then after the war, they're like, no, we want to still do tough guy shit. And so they had, you know, all these paramilitary groups that were forming even before these the actual parties formed. Um, I don't what's funny to me is like when you look at uh, when you look at like footage from like Charlottesville or something like that. These guys, very few of them look like uh, war on terror veterans to me. Mm -hmm. Very few of these guys look like they actually came out of uh, Fallujah and um what were those mountains called in Afghanistan? Tabor Mountains, where they were, were always fighting all the time. But whatever. Mm. They don't look like war on terror veterans to me. Most of them look like Xbox veterans to me. Um, <laughs> which I think is why they they fell apart so quickly when they got into actual like street fighting. Um, and so the the funny thing is is that they're <laughs> the funniest thing about them is they're actually not very intimidating. Um yeah. and I also I, I that that's the thing. And I I know other people have talked about this, but I, I don't know if we actually even have the stomach for real civil war um in this country because so few people in this country have actually experienced real hardcore combat um i'm not saying people haven't had a hard uh and we certainly have a lot of gun violence in the united states but it's not quite the same as spending years in a trench fighting well yeah i mean it's it's it goes back to uh, a version of us existing in something more approximating a control society than a disciplinary society right because that ends up applying itself to the way that we end up engaging in, in foreign affairs as well, to some degree, uh, where instead of having these massive wars, we mostly use soft power and then these catastrophic military engagements that are theoretically more more tactical. Um, but this the same thing is happening in our you know daily lives, where we do experience less violence uh, with other human beings, uh, both you know from the state and otherwise, because of the fact that the and, and and less conflict in general uh you know apart from you know putting yourself into the 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 meme trenches um it's it's all self uh, self-perpetuating self-imposed uh through a larger system people aren't entirely doing this to themselves but it's it's people who are miserable and placed in miserable situations that they need to change by something that is more ephemeral and more competent than just pure violence. And so they don't even learn how to be violent in order to respond to it because they live lives which are fundamentally absent of conflict. And do you think, okay, and do you think that... <laughs> that was a lot, bro. That was a lot to take <laughs> Um Do you think that it's precisely because... okay? So it's like people are just being trained to play out pseudo conflicts. Yeah, yeah. I mean the 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 worst part of my my day usually is that I have to uh, I have to go to work, mm-hmm. right? And no one makes me do that. Uh, you know, what? I, I have a boss that implicitly makes me do that. Um, but the well, fact of the matter is that I force myself out of bed. That? And I force myself into my office and all this stuff, and I, I I do the thing. It's all it's all conflict, which I could I could fucking drive to my boss and shake him and uh, and enter into a real conflict, where I could text him and call him a son of a bitch, uh, and and we could have a real conflict. 
but no, you 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 make a fake dating profile and you catfish him and you slowly you gaslight him into believing he's an incel and that's how you take <laughs> out your boss but 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 in reality if i wanted to escape the conflict of my workplace or the impl- implicit conflict of this control society where i constantly make myself do things because i've been made to feel as if i have to because i do want to eat uh, the thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to leave this workplace to find a control mechanism that is less offensive to me for some period of time. Mm. Right. I, uh, okay. But to bring it back to is schizo, the new incel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I it's guess, all self-imposed pain. Right. I guess that's what I've been seeing lately in, in a way that maybe I knew this implicitly, but it's clear to me in a new way where really you can actually like strip out all of the images and colors and flags and pseudo politics and swirling under all this noise and all these meme wars and all this endless fucking chatter and nonsense. It's just this big abode, this hidden abode of just sadomasochistic resentment from a bunch of people who have no power. Um, And I guess, I guess I, even all the way back to the beginning of this podcast, I talked about this where I said that, it is no coincidence that we live in the most uh, sci-fi fantasy superhero saturated pop culture of all time. It's no coincidence that that's completely taken over everything because people's feelings of powerlessness have to go somewhere. And people who were raised by actual war and depression, that would go into fascism or that would even go into like communist revolution. Um, that would go into actual physical street battles, uh, you know, in, in Germany and Russia and the United States and, and what have you. Um, that energy went into World War II. Um, but now, because it's people who have lived, I guess, about two generations under nuclear peace and uh, been raised entirely by screens, uh that that impulse now all goes into these fake characters yeah yeah the the world fundamentally isn't isn't real enough and so we need to make it more real by making up more fictions to to kind of uh hyperstition our way into some new larped politics uh yeah it's just it, i i think that's also responsible for the uh, explosion in interest in Gnosticism, right? Is mm. the sense that, um, you know, th- this, there must be something real because my daily life isn't. Uh, and my daily life would be real, uh, not that I want this, uh, but if I had, if I was drafted well, and had to go to Vietnam or, or right. something like that. We, but we, instead, I'm going to determine that it's because, you know, the, the demiurge. The funny, the, we've talked about this before, but the thing that I always thought was the funniest about Gnosticism is the idea that if you see if you see jesus or the attainment of gnosis as being like in spite of the demiurge to free you from from this evil creator god it's like all of the miracles that they're doing are sort of like pranks mm-hmm, um right. but then it also means that like the demiurge has been pranking you the whole time and the the ways that people feel is that they feel like their life really is a joke i know that's become a cliche because that's what the joker says but that also goes a long way to telling you who the joker why the joker has been become such a popular character yeah well i i mean i i think one of the reasons that uh all the joker stuff is so kind of uh cringy and and cliche well like all cliches is, is simply because of the fact that everyone thinks what he's saying is so fucking obvious that do we really need to bring it up again? Right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yes, nothing fucking makes sense. And we're all miserable 
And do you want to know how to get these scars? No, no one <laughs> wants to know how anyone got anyone's scars. Just fucking move on, go back into line, clock in, die. Ideally, you go insane on the way and end up discovering something beautiful or awful. You shoot up a, a grocery store. Well, don't do that. Don't nobody do that. Do that. Don't do that. <laughs> if for no other reason, it's cliche. Okay, it's so cliche. You uh, gotta, you gotta kill a bunch of birds or something. Someone, someone was tweeting about me because sometimes I make the really terrible mistake of just searching the word schizotopia on Twitter to oh. see what people are saying about me. I will say this: nine times out of ten, it'll be some completely fucking random dude who lives in Uzbekistan and he'll be like I love this podcast Schizotopia <laughs> and I'm like oh cool thanks and I'll, I'll like it and I'll, I'll retweet it but somebody go. somebody was mean tweeting about me and they said something like uh, that so and so shooter was a SoundCloud rapper um, I right. bet that I bet that Schizotopia ginger is like this is good for my brand it was something like that um, and I was like that's fucked up <laughs> <laughs> that is fucked up and but that's that is when i first started thinking okay is schizo going to become the new incel um where every cretin on the planet justifies being a cretin by saying they're a schizo yes which it seems obvious to me now yes we did it <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but i i mean that's that's the fun in getting there right uh because i wanted to say no but yes uh, <laughs> but we've we've explored all of this, and and we've we've finally come to one of the only salient answers anyone will ever hear in their lives about anything. What uh, have I done? Is, yes. What <laughs> have I done? Um, that's pretty beautiful. Well, not not the word I would use. <laughs> Man, I'm the Joker. All right. We're all yeah, but that's the thing. We're if we're all the Joker, we're no one's really baby. the Joker, right? See, that's what I'm saying, which is why no one can claim that they're the Joker. It's it's I, fucking cringe. It's like it's like running into a town square and screaming, I'm a human being, goddammit. Because yeah. of course you are. And we all feel it. And just just go back. Okay. I guess the thing though on. the thing that bothers me about everyone being like I'm I'm Joker, I'm Joker built, is that it's you're just begging for a Batman to come punch you in the face. That's true. That's true. But you know, it's I'm not. I'm, I'm not real into the superhero stuff, um, which I, I I feel like I always need to say uh, when I walk into a room. It's it's how I introduce myself. Uh, but I I do like the concept behind Batman in the sense that uh, he's only kind of like nominally the good guy, and the reality is that everything is is his fucking fault. <laughs> Just everything is his fault. And he kind of knows it, and he should stop, but he fucking won't. And he just makes everything worse constantly. And he makes things worse because he won't actually end up terminally dealing with any of the problems either. So they just keep growing and growing and growing, all because of him and because he will never actually solve anything, because murder is cool. Um, but... <laughs> You know what? And I would have really going to take this podcast in the wrong direction. I would have um, said, I would have always said, too, that Batman was the schizo and Joker was the incel, but now I feel like I'm convinced it's the other way around. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But but so that that actually kind of justifies uh, someone, you know, asking for Batman to punch them because that's them being inside of this awful control society that ended up making them who they are. And now 
They just want someone to fucking hurt them so they can experience reality and maybe, maybe do something about their boring fucking life. Mm, okay. <laughs> I guess that, well, this is another thing I want to talk about. It, it's so, so many people I've known and talked to. It's like their ultimate conclusion. When you really get to the bottom of it and you strip away all this other shit, that their ultimate conclusion is just some really boring fascism. That's yeah. the end of their journey, right? This yeah. is so many people um, I've known directly and, and, and indirectly where it's just sort of like, uh, okay, what the real truth is, what the real truth is, is that we just needed some big daddy all along. Yeah. Which yeah. is, you know, if you're going to be delusion about it, is the least schizo thing you could possibly choose. It really is. It really is. Especially a big daddy from the past because it's never a new dad. Right. It's always a dad that I'm just going to reconstruct. Um, yeah, yeah, which is, yeah, that's, that's one of the reasons that I, I, I'm so, um, avoidant of, of establishing, you know, my, my discreet political outlook is, is because of the fact that having any, uh, if you're, if you're able to give specific terms to your politics, uh, Number one, it means you, it means you're a tryhard. Um, <laughs> true, true. But but number two, it means that you're still simply borrowing ideas from the past, right? Uh, and it probably makes you some version of conservative or unhelpful or or you know, in uh, contemporary uh, politics, probably some flavor of fascist. I so and I mean this is another thing I've been struggling with. Uh, maybe maybe you can maybe you're going to be the one to deadipalize me. Dorian, mm. and maybe <laughs> you're gonna be the one to deadpoolize me. That's and beautiful. after all, you're my incel, bro. No, I don't. Um, <laughs> I was uh, trying to find a way to like fit Laborde in. Okay, that, I, I still, I like, if I was gonna describe my political position and not be a dickhead about it, I would call myself um, a recovering leftist. Uh, okay. because obviously I became very disillusioned with the left um, and was, you know, willing to consider more conservative ideas. Uh, but this is what, this is the trap that I'm in now where I'm sort of like, I, I don't even know if we should talk about this. The, my last straw, <laughs> my last straw when I was getting like disillusioned with, with leftism was uh, there was, I guess uh, I'm not gonna give too many details. Uh, there was a fire where I lived uh, that killed a lot of people. Um, and the first thing that I saw blow up on social media from the locals um, about this fire and about the people who died were these weird intersectional um, ID poll critiques of the people who had died. Um, that would be nice. the gist of it. That would be the gist of it. And I know that a lot of my, you know, former comrades would have told me that that was an exception and that these were just uniquely uh, vindictive people. But I don't think so. I think a lot of that wokey woo identity politics stuff, it really does rot your brain. Um, and you see that in the extreme left and the extreme right. But then I think like, maybe that is just human nature. It is just human nature that people are just fueled entirely by sadomasochistic resentment and it really doesn't matter what you give them it doesn't matter what religion you give them it doesn't matter what ideology you give them it doesn't matter what economic system you give them not only are people so resentful and so sadomasochistic that giving them what they want just makes them angrier <laughs> it just makes them even more bratty and then i think okay maybe freud was right maybe freud was right we're just like little 
baby monkeys that have all this excess consciousness um, that we don't know and we don't know what to do with it because uh, we have to, you know, to keep ourselves from going extinct, we have to like try to socialize, you know, uh, some of these irrational childish urges um, and sublimate them into whatever cultural symbols and, and uh, institutions. But that's as good as it's ever going to get. Right. Um, and any attempt to go beyond that is just doomed to failure. Um, and that's basically what we've been doing for the last two, 300 years is trying to come up with all of these new utopias and um, psychoanalysis and self-help and blah, 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 blah. But it, of course, it's only going to make everything worse. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't disagree that ultimately um, all of that's just kind of going to kind of make everything worse. But my general feeling is that everything is simply just going to get worse, right? Uh, independent of that uh, and things are just going to get worse in different ways and and the the problem with identity politics uh, the the one the one the only problem with identity <laughs> politics. good can you just tell me the one problem <laughs> put a nice bow on it no but but the um i guess i uh, I guess I would say, kind of rewinding, rather than the problem with identity politics, uh, but kind of where that comes from, I think, is the fact that uh, the problem with broader leftism is that it is so obsessed with the construction of orthodoxy, or not even the construction of orthodoxy, but the the existence of uh, orthodoxy that we can simply kind of add on to, right? Mm -hmm. So Marx wrote a Bible that no one reads, just like any Bible. Um, and we kind of carry a few thoughts from that. Uh, and we that trains us into determining things in an extremely, uh, quote-unquote, enlightenment, rationalistic, uh, uh, logicalized, categorical, kind of sense where everything becomes discrete identities which i think is the the biggest fucking problem uh that we we have in the world is the obsession with constantly producing these discrete identities right mm -hmm. uh and then making determinations based on that one could call it prejudice uh, <laughs> right? uh but if if you want to be converted uh and and de-edipalized i would say that uh while it is true that deterritorialization always necessarily leads to re-territorialization, that pulling apart identities will always lead us, uh, in the end, to snapping uh, the grid down into new, weirder identities. Mm -hmm. uh, at least it's different. <laughs> and and with all of the, the uh, terrors that we can't comprehend, we'll also have some new good things that might happen because right now the real issue is that we have this absolute social torpor uh in combination with two sides of the political divide that are both entirely preoccupied with overdetermining and re and over identifying everything it's why i like the uh, uh now i'm gonna get in trouble a little bit uh probably but my favorite version of uh of of thinking and feeling my way through like the the trans uh identity stuff is very Deleuzian in the sense that it's essentially the idea that the distinction between male and female bodies is one that is ultimately arbitrary and something of degrees 
and so independent of what your body has, uh, you can use varying technologies in order to make it more or less approximating what you want it to be. So I don't take gender identities or sexual identities very seriously at all, ultimately, because of the fact that I think depending on the day, depending on the hour, depending on the minute, you can be whatever the fuck you want to be, but I would prefer that no one was anything, right? I and, and, and that so much of the anxiety around this type of stuff is produced from people who are simply terrified by this social overdetermination uh, and perhaps some form of biology, but again, a biology that itself is uh, is is a gradient. It's a spectrum. It's highly granular. Uh, and we decide not to view it that way, which is, again, falling into these older traps of identity politics and, and very mm -hmm. conservative notions of what, of what people are supposed to be. So I, yeah, I I, I just, um, I think the well, world is, is boring enough uh, and resentment ends up coming from uh, a tendency to over-identify, over-determine meanings. Uh, and, and it never helps if you have what you want or not. Right. Uh, because that overdetermination will lead either from a surplus or from a lack of the thing that you do or do not have to develop a deep resentment and dislike of other human beings because of some interaction between these identities. So. Fuck it, we got to deedipalize everything like that's the whole idea of deedipalizing, right, is, is getting mm -hmm. rid of these kind of hierarchical structured orders and logics that end up determining who people are. Uh, I don't think anyone is anything. Uh, and I'm very optimistic in saying that. <laughs> okay, well, this is something I want to talk about earlier, and we we obviously got um, a little sidetrack in a good way. But we got a little sidetrack. Schizophrenic um, wandering. We're, we're yes. going on a walk because you're talking about okay, um, what's going to be the answer to uh, capitalist realism? Well, the reality of climate, or basically mm -hmm. the reality of things external to capitalism. Uh, that capitalism isn't going to be able to um, CG its way out of. We could put it that way. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's not going to be able to enter entertain you um, uh, enough to to keep you distracted from it. However, if you think about like Nick Land nightmare capitalism, mm -hmm. um, uh, when you start to have a capital that can you know bend space and time itself, a, a capital that's actually perfectly um, suited to be completely irrational and nonsensical um you could sort of imagine that in that nick landian time loop way that that's what's already happening now right yeah. um there's really no difference between nick land and like a science fiction author except we uh we just read them slightly differently no yeah, we we take science uh, fiction authors very seriously <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but i guess what i mean is it's you know and i just I just got done writing this article about Nick Land for the Mars Review. Shout out to the Mars Review. You go buy it um, because I'm in it, and yeah. uh, they they let me in them, so that's great. I'll, I'll buy but, it right, goddamn now. <laughs> but in any case, what you know, what occurred to me when I was writing this is it's like all all science fiction. There's always been a kind of a spirit of prophecy in science fiction. Um, right that's always what sort of animated it and whether it's talking about the past or present or future um 
it can be applied to all three, right? A good piece of science fiction anyway, the ones that we find most compelling. Like mm -hmm. even if you think about 1984, it's because Orwell wrote it in 1948, he just flipped the numbers. And then the story itself, no one even knows what year it is anyway. <laughs> um, you know, you, 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 you could be anywhere in the 20th century or, or right. you could be a thousand years in the future. How would you know? Um, anyway, what was I saying? Um, <laughs> the point that I'm trying to get at is, the point that I'm trying to get at is, is that there's that part in Meltdown where Land is saying that, um, he, he's saying that, uh, Deleuze and Guattari in 1972 were describing the future and they just didn't know it. Um, they're, they're, they're describing the future, uh, deterritorialized world. Um, they're yeah. describing the internet. They're describing the information age. Uh, they, they, they just don't know it. They're already speaking the language of the future and the present. And that's kind of what all science, good science fiction authors anyway, are, are, are trying to do. Um, and so the idea that we could all be speaking the language of the future and not know it, um, is, uh, one of the most paranoid, uh, but fun ideas, I think, um, one can contemplate, right? Where all of these uh, arguments about uh, identity and paranoia and um, what's real and what's not in capitalism, et cetera, et cetera, it, it, it could all be relevant in a way or describing things um, that are already happening in, in the future that we don't know about. Yeah. No, and absolutely. And, you know, that's one of the reasons that, um, and, you know, Deleuze and Guattari were, were a huge part of this but you know whitehead as well and, and land uh was a big part of my thinking in this but that it's um i think it's inadequate again with my whole thing against identity as a concept to begin with uh, but I, I think it's inadequate to describe things as uh stable objects uh or objects let alone stable objects right and that we need to really end up viewing most things if we want to be uh accurate or useful or most of, importantly of all interesting um is to view everything as process right um because that is ultimately the only way inside of a world that is constantly changing and changing in ways that are um uh, of course they have their rationalities in a certain way but certainly oftentimes not rational to us because they're uh, too complicated or because the the reason for them hasn't arrived out of the future yet um that it's the only good way of uh, of, of of viewing the world is as a series of uh, of extremely complex functions and trying to figure out what those functions are, right? Rather than oh, this is the way that things are, and then you get preoccupied with that and you end up causing yourself to develop really fucking stupid politics <laughs> because you're not concerned about the future. You're not building a future. You're not talking about a future. Future has nothing to do with your metaphysics. Your metaphysics, your politics, all of it is entirely developed based on this idea of resentment about. Uh, the the present as a reflection of the past uh, and i think that's unhelpful and it's like i said worst of all this is fucking boring <laughs> okay <Yeah>. um well, <laughs> i hope this was helpful this was uh i'm not sure if this made me feel any better but i hope it, it will be helpful uh to some of the people who are listening uh yeah yeah, I think I agree with that. All right, Dorian, <laughs> where can people find you? Is there anyone you want to give a shout out to, including yourself? Yeah, uh, track me down. Uh, I am uh, Dank Deleuze, Dank Deleuze uh, on Instagram. Who cares about my Twitter? I just make dick jokes there, though maybe those are funnier. Um, and uh, you can check me out some weeks on the Benzo Rehab Dungeon podcast.
you can find them on Instagram as well. Um, yeah. Otherwise, uh, I do actually, if you want to, if you want to talk to me about any of this, uh, I'm really bad at responding to DMs. And what you can do instead is join my workshop. It happens every Saturday at uh, 11 a.m. PST. Uh, and we talk about a piece of uh, literature or philosophy, uh, as well as look at writing or thinking by people in the workshop. Uh, again, that happens every week. And we release writing prompts, lectures, podcasts, all sorts of things. And I'm hoping that Max will join me on there very soon. Uh, you can find that on Patreon. It's uh, patreon.com slash truncata, T-R-U-N-C-A-T-A. Uh, and if you don't have money, just DM me. And if I see it, I'll just add you to the group. All right, Dorian, thank you very much. Um, thank you for are, having me on, man. Things are pretty bad. As <laughs> <laughs> you would say. As you would say. Consequences to you would be devastating. In your mind, I'll be dead. With no one to guide you out, you'll be stuck in permanent psychosis. The walls of reality will come crashing down. One minute, you'll be the savior of the rebel cause, and the next thing you know, you'll be Cohagen's bosom buddy. You'll even have fantasies about alien civilizations, as you requested, but in the end, back on Earth, you'll be lobotomized. So get a grip on yourself, Doug, and put down that gun. Take the pill and put it in your mouth. Swallow it. <laughs>